Today on Women of Color Talk Biz, episode 12 with Terry Koslowski. I'm a life coach. Well, I call myself a soul coach because really the work I'm doing is to help people become who they authentically are. Whether it came, they came through trauma, as I did, or they're just coming through the domestication process. And I'm finding out that women in general are wanting to go through this process, but are having barriers and limiting beliefs and fears about how to come out of their domestication process. Self-sabotaging is when you start repeating to yourself in your self-talk that you are not worthy, that this is something, oh, this is too hard to learn, I can't do this, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time is one of the biggest excuses we use for not accomplishing our goals. And the reality is we all have the same amount of time. How we prioritize that time is really what it comes down to. Welcome to the Women of Color Talk Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Monica Bariga Wires, and this platform is for you if you want to hear about women of color sharing work strategies in the trenches from their early years to working their way up as managers and founders. We're covering areas in tech, media, and the corporate floors of America. Getting access to how they do it is key to knowing how you can move smarter and faster by leveraging our diverse interviews. Today, I'm honored to welcome Terry Koslowski, our first Native American guest speaker from the Raven Clan, or Athabascan, Lingit tribe. She is currently a VP of Operations at North American Medical Corporation, a new author, blog writer, podcaster, and a certified life coach through the Academy of Modern Applied Psychology. Her bachelor's degree is in social sciences from the University of Pittsburgh, and she's a student of the Course in Miracles. Her shining background stands out in an exceptional way. She is a survivor of child sexual abuse, and her new book, Raven Transcending Fear, leads by explaining how women and men can transform their fear from any situation. Today, she'll share numerous gems as we cover points you can apply immediately during our new normal with COVID. Some of the best takeaways you'll get from this are the following. How to organize yourself for your flow and for your teams, learning what your purpose is as a woman of color, and bringing authenticity to online meetings. There's also a little bit on job searching with niches in mind and transforming fear and your triggers. So let's listen in on Terry Koslowski's interview. Okay, thank you, Terry Koslowski, for coming on to Women of Color Talk Biz. I'm so happy to see you here with me. Uh, just to let everyone know, Terry and I met through a podcast accelerator course and became friends there and have stayed in touch since. Um, so Terry, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, thank you very much, Monica, for having me. I'm excited to be here. My background is a little unique. Um, I started off um, as a stay-at-home mom. And I stayed at home with my son until he was 14 years old. And in 2000, after 9-11, my husband was in the airline industry and he was furloughed. So we ended up having to, I had to go back into the workforce. And when I did that, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I had done a lot of volunteer work during my stay-at-home mom time. So I was heavily involved in um, Boy Scouts of America through the Scouting program. So I was organizing people and volunteers there. 
And I had done some sales in Tupperware. I became the number one uh, Tupperware sales woman in the greater Cincinnati area, got the van and everything. So I, I did all of that. But when I went to start looking for a job, it was very different because being able to do something on the side and then translating that into a resume where this is my skill set, what can I do, was very difficult for me. And I ended up becoming a floater. That's what I was hired to do as a floater because they weren't quite sure what to do with me in a small medical device company. And they manufacture spinal decompression devices, North American Medical Corporation. And I was hired in 2005 as a floater. And in 2014, I became uh, vice president of operations. So I was able to take my unknown skill set and narrow it down into something that the company was really able to use. And I was able then to grow into, um, into a, a C-level position. What were the things that helped you get to that VP role? I mean, not everyone just makes it to VP from a floater. <laughs> so what do you think had a no, huge impact on that? One of the things that I am very, very, very good at is organization. I can organize anybody and anything. You throw a whole pile of stuff, I can figure out an organization pattern for it. Or I can talk to you and Monica, tell me how you work. What is your flow? Do you work with piles? Do you work with files? Do you have to have things in, you know, A, B, C, and D? Do you have to have folders? Do you use notebooks? Are you loose leaf paper girl? What are those things that you use that help you work through your process and then I'm able to put systems into place so that everything you do becomes streamlined and that you don't lose papers you don't lose files you know your schedule all of those things that mm -hmm. help us be better in the workplace are based on the systems we put in place and I'm that person I can help anybody with whatever organizational issues they have and put them in a place where they can do things for themselves. So at the company, what they ended up doing was I ended up working for the um, senior vice president who was in charge of research and legal. Mm -hmm. And so very technical information and I can thrive in a research environment. So I can find information and I can put together packages and I can organize it all in a, in a way that makes it easy for her to do her job. So mm -hmm. in doing that, I became her executive assistant. And then over time, what ended up happening was in 2007, during the recession, our company went from having a lot of employees to, I think it was 80, down to 12. And when we did that massive cut, I ended up being the only EA they kept. Mm -hmm. And I ended up EAing for all three of the executives, CEO, the senior vice president, and the CFO. And in Doing that, I became very involved in all aspects of the operation, from inventory and purchasing to production lines to compliance, because we are a medical device, so we're FDA and ISO regulated. Mm -hmm. um, we get audits annually. So learning all of that, because it's about organization. It was one of those skill sets that I already had. I was able then to grow not only for myself, but also for the company into being able to 
be promoted to vice president of operations, where I am specifically over um, the service department and the compliance department. Um, I had a lot of accounting. I have a minor in accounting. <laughs> so I understand that aspect of it. Not my favorite thing. Um, but that is one of those areas that because I was able to organize on a broader base, I was able to learn the skills necessary to take on those roles. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people being organized and learning how to deal with time management in your organization becomes, you become more productive and becoming more productive makes you more valuable. What is the most commonly used advice that you give? Work with what makes you comfortable. Don't try a system out because somebody says it's a better system. If you are a piler, use piles. You may want to put your piles, you know, strategically into file folders and have a pile of file folders that are all labeled so that you can find what it is you're looking for in your pile. My husband has what I call flat surface syndrome. If there's a flat surface, he must put something on it. (laughs) And I will gather things up and say, you need to find a home for these things. I will let it go for a while, but every so often about, you know, once a month, it's time. You need Mm -hmm. to find homes for these, these places. (laughs) So with the same thing with our piles or our files or whatever it is that we use systematically on a regular basis, we need to go through stuff because pilers are notorious for piling things and then never looking at them again. And they end up with these gigantic piles that they don't need. When you have clutter around you, it clutters your mind and you're less productive. So Mm -hmm. being able to clear things away is an important part of being able to stay organized and be less cluttered. Some people love post-it notes. Post-it notes can be a fabulous tool if they're used properly. But for some people, post-it notes just are a distraction. They have too many things to look at now. So Mm -hmm. you have to use what innately works for you. And then I can help you or you can find ways to improve upon that, which is innately part of how you work. For Native American population specifically, but even just women of color generally, we are not bred or or at all taught in any way, shape or form that we can become entrepreneurs. That's not something that we are told as little girls we can do. There's lots of things that we're told, mainly find a husband, have babies, be happy. That, that is what we are mostly told to do. But the reality is we are all come to this planet with a purpose. And part of us in growing up is that we have to learn what that purpose is. But a lot of time it gets shut down by our parents and our families because they want us to be something. For example, I wanted to be a speech pathologist. I was going off to college to be a speech pathologist. And my dad did not like that idea. He told me I needed to be a business major. So I became a business major and I hated it. I suffered through two years of accounting. I have an accounting minor that I will never use in business because I hate it so much. It's the doing those things that our family wants us to do before we gain strength and become the warriors that we're meant to be to fight for ourselves and gain the self-confidence in ourselves to say, I'm not good at accounting. (laughs) I don't like accounting. I'd much rather help people overcome their fears and limiting beliefs because I know I can do it. So that is where I'm coming from is that I am passionate about what it is I do. And that is to help people overcome their fears and limiting beliefs 
whether they're women of color or women in general or people overcoming trauma. But in the Native American world, it is very, it's full of trauma, lots of trauma, not only from a social standpoint, but from um, an alcoholic standpoint, generational standpoint, um, beliefs that who we authentically are as Native American people are subpar to others, that we aren't worthy to own land. We aren't worthy to have our beliefs, Mm -hmm. um, our ancient beliefs that have great history and have great social qualities for Mm -hmm. the community. Native peoples are very much communal based. And what is yours is mine. What's mine is yours. And there is no you know, there is no greed, there is no selfishness in those communities that are authentically based in those passionately felt historical references. And being able to share that with the world is very important um, Mm -hmm. to me. And it's part of what you're trying to do with your show Mm -hmm. is to let women of color know that it's okay for them to be authentically who they are, despite what we've been told, or what others are telling us now. The more I see issues come out in the news about global warming, the more I feel like we're going to end up making a full circle in this country and going back to what Native Americans feel and what truly feel about the earth and what, how to manage themselves in that environment, in a natural environment. And we're in a modern day society, but that means there's going to be a lot of changes, I think, over the coming years, because we're on a time limit here Mm -hmm. with earth. There's a, there's a part of me that's very excited about that. I mean, we'll see how everything plays out. I kind of feel like it's, it's kind of like that, you know, parking ticket that you have to pay, you know, you have to pay, or it's going to grow into a bigger situation. And we as a people, as a nation, we have to go there. And and people, I, I feel like the younger generation is already, you know, very passionate about that. The um, younger generation is closer to it because they're closer to spirit. They're closer to remembering who they authentically are. We as adults have had to gone through a domestication process through our families and then through society, you know, Mm -hmm. the peer pressure and then the societal pressures to be whatever it is is considered normal, have, you know, get married and have those 2.1 kids and uh, make lots of money and have the big house. All of that, that we're domesticated into believing is what's supposed to happen. Whereas the younger generation is closer to remembering who they authentically are, remembering that they are supposed to be one with Mother Earth, that they're supposed to be um, on this journey to full compassion and full awareness of who they are as a one united entity, because Mm -hmm. we're all connected and we know we're all connected. The energy Mm -hmm. around us is all connected. So science has shown us that we're all connected. Religion has pointed us that we're all connected all of them, every single religion on the planet all says the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's man, it's humanity that has taken these things and domesticated them in a way for one of two reasons, one for power, two, trying to understand it and and put it into what they consider layman's terms. But we're all meant to understand that we're all connected, that we're all one, that the only way to respond to anything is through love. The only way to heal anything is through love. And all of that is something that the younger generation is just closer to 
than we are because we went through the domestication process. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing some changes in how little ones are being raised. I'm hoping that the next generation that is coming up is going to have less domestication than the rest of us did. Okay. So you're a VP of operations in North America uh, at North America Medical Corporation. If you were to help career coaches with best practices on how to organize job searches during the 2021 pandemic that we're still dealing with, what would be your go-to advice for, for career coaches? My go-to advice would be be very, very specific on what your talents are. Whatever your talents are, you need to really highlight those and how they can be used in this new environment, in this time where there isn't a lot of going to the office, where there's more work at home, the independence factor, being able to work independently right now is huge, being able to understand that um, deadlines or even something along the lines where you're working within a team and my deadline directly is proportional to what Monica can do because Monica's waiting on me to get something done. So if I get done early, instead of waiting until that Friday, that is my deadline. But if I get it done Wednesday, that gives Monica a head start. So understanding that prioritizing is different now because in the team environment and in this COVID environment, getting things done in a more efficient way is much more important than getting things done and making things perfect. Perfect is something that during this time we've seen less of. We're seeing less business suits and ties. We're seeing, you know, sweatpants and and pretty scarves as a way to do the Zoom meetings and still be part of things, but at the same time, understanding that our roles are different. The other thing I would say is when you are looking at highlighting those things that are good for you, also search. What you're searching for is very important because it's very niche now. We're very Mm -hmm. much into, you know, it's not just going into technology because going into technology is is so broad that you have to get very specific. I'm going into the audio portion of podcasting because that is my expertise. That's what I'm passionate about. And in doing that, your niche has become very much smaller, but that also means that your expertise has become much broader for Mm -hmm. that audience. And that's where refocusing what it is that we're trying to accomplish because you can't just go out and get an executive assistant job anymore. That's, they're they're not there. You Mm -hmm. can't go out and become um, just a person who does mechanical engineering because you have to get very specific. In my company, I'm hiring mechanical engineers but I'm hiring them for very, very specific things. So I'm looking for somebody mm-hmm. who, who can do hydraulics, mm-hmm. but at the same time can make the drawings. I don't need two separate individuals. I need one person who can do both. So being able to be very niche and very much an expert in, the, in that particular area is going to be more important as we move forward. Uh, do you mind sharing what other roles you guys are hiring for right now, uh, just for our audience to know what's out if they happen to be listening and want that niche? I'm specifically looking for somebody to help in the um, R&D area, mechanical, electrical, engineering, 
some pneumatics, some hydraulics, but in, in the medical market, which is also very specific because in the medical market, there's standards that you just can't have like on, on a car. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> there, mm-hmm. there are different standards there that you have to have than in, in other areas. So um, being able to know that it's ISO and FDA regulated, and there's a testing process that has to all be validated mm-hmm. for medical devices. So that, that's a very mm-hmm. niche area as well. Mm-hmm. Is it a remote, are, are those remote roles? Yes. Okay. And that's North America Medical Corporation. North America Medical Corporation, okay. yes. Some people start with an organized plan in their careers or on their job search, and then they veer off. How can women stick to their plans better? And I, I mentioned to you earlier, I saw this funny little cartoon of a woman laying down, face down in the grass. And the headline was, I used to have a plan. <laughs> so, um, so what would you recommend? I'd be very cautious with what it is the plan is, number one. And what I mean by that is I had a plan and it went to hell in handbasket. <laughs> uh, I was going to become a speech pathologist my daddy didn't want me to. I ended up being a business major, as I said. And then I ended up taking that business information that I had and growing it into, into the job I have now with North American Medical as vice president of operations. However, I am in the process of transitioning out of that. And what I mean by that is it was not something I ever planned to do long term. It was something that I thought I was doing to help the financial aspect of my family at the time. Mm -hmm. But two things happened. One, I really thrived in that environment. I'm really good at what I do. Mm -hmm. So learning what I'm really good at was very beneficial to me. It raised my self-confidence. And through that process, when you raise your self-confidence and you know you can do something that you didn't think you could do, or somebody else is encouraging you to do things, you end up finding out that you have other talents. And one of the things that happened through this process is I ended up writing a lot of contracts, a lot of uh, marketing copy, and found out that I'm a really good writer. And it ended up happening that I have a personal story that I had been asked over the years to write about, and I didn't want to do it. But all of a sudden in 2018, I became pregnant with the book, and I started down that road. And I wrote the book, and It's going to be coming out in March of this year. And as I transitioned into more of the writing, I realized that where I'm headed now is to be more of an entrepreneur. And my business is Cosmic Soul Solutions. I have a podcast, Soul Solutions, and I'm a life coach. Well, I call myself a soul coach because really the work I'm doing is to help people become who they authentically are, whether they came through trauma as I did or they're just coming through the domestication process. And I'm finding out that women in general are wanting to go through this process, but are having barriers and limiting beliefs and fears about how to come out of their domestication process. Um, I'm also finding out that men, surprisingly very fearful about certain aspects of things that they're not willing to talk about. And in trying and working with some men, I found out that that process isn't as difficult as they thought it was. So the plan is find your passion. Whatever it is you're passionate about is going to be a whole lot easier to obtain than something that you're not passionate about. So I'm Mm -hmm. currently passionate about what it is I'm doing versus where I am with my corporate job. 
my corporate job knows that I'm transitioning out. They know that that is the plan. <laughs> so they're working with me and I'm working with them to make that happen so that they aren't in a lurch and I can continue as I want to. But mm-hmm. having plans means that there are two things you need to do. Verify that you truly want whatever it is your goal is. And a lot of times people think they want something until they get it and then they're not happy. So truly finding out what it is you're passionate about, what it is that brings, sparks your heart, and you can talk for hours about. That is something that you know is where your passion lies. And then making specific steps towards those goals. Mm -hmm. So if you are like me, I'm going into a field that I have no real experience in other than life experience. So I took some courses, I became a certified life coach, I made the, the certain things, took it, put in place a plan of action, and then every day took some step towards that action, whether it was writing a couple pages for my book, whether it was taking a class, whether it was learning how to create a website from scratch, learning how to podcast the class we took together, doing those things step by step in order to understand what the ultimate goal was. Mm -hmm. So for me, writing the book was something I never planned on doing. And then I really felt pregnant with the book that I just had to write it. It was a two, a two year process to write the book, edit the book, um, go through and write a book proposal, go through lots of rejection letters from publishing companies um, Mm -hmm. before I got a book deal. It's those planning those out is a step-by-step process. And Mm -hmm. if you get veered off your plan, my -hmm. suggestion is, is it really something you wanted? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you get veered off the plan, there's something else going on. Either you Mm -hmm. really don't want it or in lots of cases, it's a self-confidence issue. Mm -hmm. You don't think you can do it. Mm -hmm. And that, in that case, we self-sabotage at that point. And when we're self-sabotaging, which I did for a long time, not with the book, but I did for a long time in other areas, that self-sabotaging is when you start repeating to yourself in your self-talk that you are not worthy, that this is something, oh, this is too hard to learn. I can't do this. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time is the, one of the biz, biggest excuses we use for not accomplishing our goals. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we all have the same amount of time. How we prioritize that time is really what it comes down to. I spend maybe three hours, four days a week, three, no, three days a week. Now my husband works second shift. So we're home together three nights a week. Those are the only three nights I watch television. Television Mm -hmm. is not turned on when he's not here. Mm -hmm. I read, I'm working on website, I'm writing. So I'm using my time differently than when he's home because he's only here three days a week when we're together. Mm -hmm. So understanding and prioritizing what it is that we're doing with our time is the most important thing in in being able to accomplish our goals, staying with the plan. But sometimes we need to look at the plan and say, "Mm, I really don't like this. Why don't I like this? Why, why did I think I wanted to do this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because my daddy told me to, (laughs) as in my case, because that's what it was for the business story. Did it help me in the long run? Yes. And that's one of the things that um, we do in life is that we take those things that did occur and we turn them into opportunities. 
and the opportunities by taking the business um, courses did help me in the long run. So mm-hmm. that, that was a plus, despite mm-hmm. the fact at the time I was struggling. Um, one thing I've noticed, Terry, uh, since I met you um, in the summer, was that you educate yourself on whatever it is that you're doing. You're constantly educating yourself and looking for more information to keep the ball rolling and to stay on target. The growth aspect of things, whether it is through reading, whether it's through taking an online course, whether it's through getting a certification, the continued learning, I think is just a part of really living a full life. Because if you stop learning, I think you stop living because, you know, you don't ever know everything. Number one, we can't learn, you know, you can never stop learning because I think that every, every day in life, there's something to learn, relearn or unlearn. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it just so happens that it's what I wrote about last week was that the fact that we need to assess what we need to learn next, what mm-hmm. is it that we need to learn now? What is it that we need to improve upon in our life? Do we need to, to improve our health? Do we need to improve our technology skill set? Do we need to improve something just because we have a passion for painting, but we've never painted anything in our life, but we want to paint. So go take a painting course, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. go buy some paints and sit down and, your, you know, on your back deck and paint something. So learning how to do those things and finding out what you're passionate about is all how you live a full life. And it also is a great lesson for kids that they see their parents always learning something new. Mm-hmm. My husband um, made a walking stick, carved a walking stick for me. He gets asked all the time, how did you learn to do this? And he said, well, I learned by doing this. And that was the first carving he had ever done was this walking stick. Mm. And in two weeks, you'll be able to see a picture of it on my website. But awesome. he did this and his mantra is, there's nothing, the only thing I can't do is something I haven't tried yet. And I think that's the truth in life, that if we don't try, then what we say we can't do becomes a truthful statement. Putting in effort into those things that we want to try to learn how to do, or we all of a sudden have a passion for, or we're just curious. Sometimes Mm -hmm. just going down that road of curiosity is a way for us to find something new and wonderful that we didn't know anything about. Um, Two years ago, my husband and I came across this um, crystal show that we went to, and it really is about geology. I have a passion for geology Mm -hmm. when I was younger, and we tapped into that. We had some great expeditions collecting rocks in the middle of nowhere, which is some outdoor time. But the other thing that happened was my granddaughter got interested in it. Mm. And now she will ask, you know, Grandma, what kind of rock is this? Is this from a volcano? You know, so she's learning something and is interested in something that would not ever have come into any other place but school. Mm-hmm. But having that outside exposure gives her a little bit more depth of knowledge and to, to find out whether or not it's something she wants to pursue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the discovery exploration phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. But often I feel like I'm in the messy middle. <laughs> <laughs> so In terms of being organized at work or on your job search, what are some tools that you can recommend people check out to help them? Well, I'm big on Google calendars. I calendar everything. I I calendar my time to read for pleasure because that's part of self-care. And if I don't schedule my self-care, it won't happen. So if I decide that I, I want to take a bubble bath, I put it on my schedule. 
those self-care items we need to put on our calendars, those wellness things we need to put on our calendars. Do we want to exercise every day? Do we want to meditate every day? Put those things on your calendar. The other aspect of work life is making sure that you have a to-do list and it's a to-do list for today. If it's not on today's to-do list, but you know you have to do it, you put it on a to-do list for another day. So in my calendar at work, I have a task list at the bottom. And on it, I will write down what I'm supposed to do that day. Or if something comes up and I know I have to have something done by Friday, I write it on Thursdays. I don't wait till Friday because something may happen on Thursday. <laughs> and Or I get into the project and I realize that, oh, this is bigger than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not rushed. I'm not stressed. I don't over, I don't do anything that I think will stress me out in how I calendar. Calendaring to me and to-do lists are very important in, in staying organized. The other aspect of that is that I stay grounded. I start my day by staying grounded. I meditate every morning. I do affirmations every morning, journal three pages every morning, and I mm-hmm. do some sort of what I call devotional reading, and it can just be an uplifting passage. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be religious, but I do devotional reading. So I start my day that way because I'm there at a higher vibrational frequency for me to come down from over the course of the day, instead of starting out being grumpy when I step out of the bed. And when you do that and you don't change your vibrational frequency, your day gets worse. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're attracting that into your life. So Mm -hmm. starting off at a high place and making sure that I have a positive mindset, even when I know that I'm going to have to have a meeting with seven other people that is going to be time consuming and it's going to be, you know, I'm not going to get much benefit of it. But when you know that you have to do those things going in, you look on the bright side of things, which is obviously I'm supposed to be with these people today because there's something I'm supposed to learn from them or there's something I need to learn or share with them. All our interactions are about learning from others or us learning in the process. So I I look at those exchanges as well. Okay. So what are some strategies that you've been using at work to keep your managers organized? Again, I calendar everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of the calendaring for me is that it makes it very clear to me what I need to do, but it also makes it very clear what I expect them to do. Mm-hmm. So um, also because of the COVID, everything is now being done via email or through Zoom meeting. So it's making sure that everybody knows exactly what their tasks are and when the tasks need to be done, be completed by. Um, and then the other thing that's really strange is I went from having, I was not a report person. I didn't want to read your reports now I'm a report girl because now it's something that I can go through. I'm very specific, however, in the reporting is that I want whatever was the query I had for you, I want that as the subject line. And then I want four or five main points to tell me what has happened and two summary senses of, of where you are and anything you need to t- need to tell me about what it is you're missing that you need to have that you don't have. So I've gotten very specific in what it is information that's being exchanged because now that we're not all in the same building, we're not all there at the same time anymore, being able to communicate more effectively and more efficiently has become much more important in today's day and age. I want to hire the best person for the job that I possibly can. If you are that person, you're going to shine during the interview Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's going to be what it needs to be. 
-hmm. If you are not meant for the job, you aren't going to shine. And I'm not going to remember who you are as far as for that job position. I may remember you for something else, though, if you're authentically who you are. Mm -hmm. I may remember Mm -hmm. that, oh, wait a second, she's really good at marketing. We have to be authentic in our communication. And people aren't. People Mm -hmm. tend to be um, more concerned about how they come across, more concerned about what their background is or, you know, what the words that they're saying are instead of Mm -hmm. coming across as I'm being authentically me and however that shows up for the other person is up to that other person. Yes, we're women of color, but your path was different than my path. Yeah. And that actually perspective is so relevant right now. But um, I want to go to the next question about your book. Can you tell me just talk a little bit about your book when it's coming out, what motivated you to write the book. I've spoken to you about your book before, and I was amazed that you were writing a book. If women want to write a book, tell us how you got motivated, how you did it. And then if they want to write a book, what path can they take? I never wanted to write a book. So let me put that out there. I had been asked to write my survivor story since I was about 20. Okay. So I alluded to the fact that my sister and I were abandoned by my mother on the streets of Albuquerque, New Mexico, when I was 11 years old, my mother and I have a very difficult, had a very difficult relationship the rest of her life. But that survivorship story is about how I went from being horribly fearful about everything and finally learning to be my authentic self. So, and it was a long process. So I started out, I came, I got off the airplane when we landed back in Pennsylvania from New Mexico at the age of 11, Mm -hmm. telling my dad I needed to see a therapist. And I spent, so I had great awareness at the time that it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong, but then the ego starts taking over. Okay. Uh And I went through a long period of time where I was very shameful. I blamed myself. My mother blamed me. So, you know, she, in one of her drunken, many drunken tirades, she blamed me for not only what happened to me, but what was happening to her and her life. And may I ask real quickly, was this on the reservation? No, 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 no. My mother, um, my mother was born inside Fort Yukon, Alaska, which is an Indian village in Alaska. She was given up for adoption at the age of 16 and came into the white man's world where she wasn't allowed to have any of her native stuff, wasn't allowed to speak native, her native language, which was Athabascan. And when all was said and done, she lost her identity. Uh Uh Okay. So I understand why my mother ended up an alcoholic and drug addict. I understand why she struggled and I understand, but that still was, did not give her the right to do what she did to me. Mm-hmm. Does not excuse her behavior. So I understood all that, but at the same time, there was there was an internal struggle within me to understand the why. That's the big question we all ask ourselves: Why did this happen to me? The ultimate reality is, I can tell you that because my mother was a drug addict and an alcoholic, that allowed the situation to occur. But that's not why it occurred. It just happened because when we try to figure out the why we get stuck and I got stuck in the why, Mm -hmm. because I argued with God. um, I argued with myself. I argued with people to try to figure out the why. And when Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, then the why doesn't matter. What matters is that I 
made a conscious decision to forgive my mother so that I could free myself up from the bondage of the fear. And And what got you to get over the hump to get to that point of forgiving and not trying to, and no longer getting stuck in the why? I, because I realized I was causing my own suffering. Mm. So in, I want to, it was about 30 years after I, I was turning 40 <laughs> and I got to the place where I realized my mother was no longer in my life. Why was things she said to me when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, or in one of her drunken tirades when I know she wasn't being herself? Why was those words affecting me now when I knew I'm smart and I'm a smart woman, (laughs) I'm an educated woman, I knew that that should not be affecting me. And I realized I was playing those tapes in my head. I Mm. was causing my own suffering. I was the one that was not in her voice anymore, but in my voice saying that I wasn't worthy, that there was shame. I should be ashamed of what happened. So those stories in, that I was replaying in my head, I had to learn to reframe them in a way that became positive for me. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is, despite what happened, I grew from it. I became mm-hmm. much stronger. I became more self-aware. Mm-hmm. I became able to perceive things in a way that other people perceive completely differently. Mm-hmm. I am able to reframe other people's stories to help them see a better side of a better perspective, a better mind, have a better mindset. So I was able to take what happened to me and realize that I was causing my own suffering. My own, my thoughts were causing me to stay Mm -hmm. stuck Mm -hmm. and for me to forgive, not just my mother, but myself for staying stuck. And that was harder than forgiving my mother, Mm. forgiving myself for staying stuck for 30 years was really hard on me because Mm -hmm. again, I don't consider myself to be a stupid woman. I consider myself to be not only educated, you know, from a university perspective, but Mm self-educated and helping. I've always helped other women who have suffered from sexual abuse. I've helped them over the years. I've spoken in front of 600 people of women and have helped them with my story. But in doing all that, I still was upset with myself that I allowed it to continue. So that was the harder, harder forgiveness to occur. Mm. But once I was able to do that, the amount of healing just escalated. Because when you realize that you're causing your own suffering and Buddha completely, that's the whole Buddhist tradition is that, you know, thoughts cause your own thoughts, your thoughts cause your own suffering. When you really look at that and start realizing what those stories are that you play in your head, you know, mm-hmm. something that an art teacher told me one time that I was not a good painter. Well, I wasn't ever going to be a Picasso, but I was still a good painter. Mm-hmm. But she squashed me from painting for over 20 years because of her one comment. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that we allow in our domestication to occur, mm-hmm. so, you know, mm-hmm. The painting you see behind me, there's paintings all through my house. Mm -hmm. I painted that. Mm. I wrote a whole article on creativity and all the pictures in the article are paintings that I painted. Mm. Um, And it's just because I like it. 
Nobody else has to like, I'm not trying to go out into the world and sell my art. <laughs> I'm doing it for me. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the self-care and realizing that we're all creative beings. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I went through all of that. And when I became pregnant with the book, I researched how to write a book. I researched the publishing industry. I took a Hay House um, writing class and I took a memoir writing class. And then I started writing the book and it flowed out of me. And mm-hmm. when I, what I mean by that is I would sit down and type for three hours and didn't realize three hours went by. Mm-hmm. So it flowed out of me. And then the editing process had to occur. And that's harder than the writing part is the editing part, because part of it is you get attached to your words, mm-hmm. you get attached to your story. And my story in the book form really got translated twice. So the first time I think I had 70 words, it got cut down to 70,000 words to 40,000 words. The first editing round, 30,000 words disappeared. And then the second editing round, I actually added more words. Mm -hmm. So um, specifically when you are an unpublished author, you have to be able to find without an agent publishers that will take unsolicited book proposals. So Mm -hmm. it's a very small area. I didn't want to self-publish. So I specifically knew I didn't want to do that. And I got educated in the different realms of publishing. You have your self-publishing, you have your hybrid publishers, which is you pay somebody some money and they do the work to publish your book, or you have traditional publishers. I ended up getting a book contract with a traditional publisher where I don't pay anything up front. I get royalties and um, they do the publishing process. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate that I got what I thought, I got what I wanted ultimately, but it was a process. And Mm -hmm. um, the book comes out in March of uh, this year. Uh, It's called Raven Transcending Fear. It's a memoir about me overcoming child sexual abuse and abandonment Mm -hmm. and my recovery to becoming authentically me. I'm just thinking there's going to be a lot of people who end up reading your story and they're going, going to realize they're not the only one. Correct. Um, And that's ultimately why I feel that I needed to write the book was ultimately I had been told for years that my story will help others. mm -hmm. And part of the reason I didn't want to write it was because I didn't, my mother was still alive. My sister um, is very much a part of the story and a lot of people are upset with my dad and all the circumstances that occurred to allow me to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I never blamed my dad ever, mm-hmm. never even occurred to me to blame my dad. Um, I always blamed my mother because that's ultimately where the blame needs to be. And she passed uh, and, uh, several years ago. Mm-hmm. And so that I think was part of what released it. The second thing that happened was my sister and I, for the first time ever, really had to sit down and heart to heart talk on exactly what happened to me and that I understand her experience was different because she, she and my mother are similar in personalities and she adored my mother. Mm-hmm. And I never wanted to cause any rift between her and my mother. So mm-hmm. I was always very, very cautious in mm-hmm. what was said to her about what was going on with me. So in when I told her that I was writing the book and I the foreword's very clear that this is my story, my perspective 
other people around me may not see it this way. And that's okay. And I'm okay with that. And I made sure that my sister was also okay that I was telling my story. Mm-hmm. She's mentioned in it because she's a huge part of my life up until I got married, but she understood what it was I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome that you all were able to respect each other on that level. Um, knowing that she was closer to your mom or identified with your mom a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. people identify with their mothers and I, I just never did. Now I look almost exactly like my mother. And for the longest time, I never thought so. But when my granddaughter was born, I started seeing pictures of her and me and how much we looked alike. And I found pictures of my mother when she was younger and how much she and I looked alike. Mm -hmm. And I think that was that blindness that we, that we put up that no, I'm not like that or Mm -hmm. no, I don't look like that. Mm -hmm. And part of my shame in what had happened was I looked just like her. How could that happen to her? How could she Mm -hmm. allow that happen? Mm -hmm. So I, it was going through all that healing process that allowed um, me to realize that we all, every relationship we have, my relationship with my dad is different than my sister's relationship with my dad. And it will be because we're all, we're all unique. We're all individuals. Mm-hmm. We can't have the same relationship with the same people. It's just not possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The forgiveness part is huge. If, um, and the meditation, because it kind of, helps you become more aware, aware Mm -hmm. of those tapes going on in your head. Mm -hmm. Um, And I studied a little bit of Holocaust uh, literature and did a final in college on the offspring. And so, you know, I just studied trauma that semester Mm -hmm. and the key difference with the survivors was that they got the ones that healed were the ones who gave testimony, who got therapy, who did art, who did something because their mental, their psychological blueprint had been damaged through, through trauma. And so they needed another blueprint. And the ones that did that were less likely to pass on trauma to the next generation. And the ones who did nothing continued with their patterns of um, illness and passed it on to their kids. When I found out I was pregnant, Um, I realized I knew I was codependent. Okay. Um, I I knew I was codependent, but when I got pregnant, I spent the nine months, I was a 10 months because he went three weeks late. I went 10 months where I completely worked on not being codependent, codependent, no more Mm -hmm. wonderful book. (laughs) But I went through that process because I knew I was two things. I was ending the line of alcoholism. And number two, I was ending the line of sexual abuse that ran in the women of my mother's, of my mother's family. She was sexually abused. Um, She was raped as an adult. Her mother was sexually abused and raped as an adult. And it just goes back several generations. Mm. So I knew I was ending that. Mm -hmm. And part of that was number one, I wasn't going to ever have a daughter. I knew I was not birthing a daughter. Mm -hmm. And so I had a son. And now I have a granddaughter. So that is the, the break that spirit has shown me that she will be fine. Nobody's going to harm her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you're a strong individual to be able to break that. 
my hat's off to you for sure. That's, that's not, not all balls bounce. Uh, I'm very happy that you wrote that book and um, I'm looking forward to reading it myself and I'm definitely going to be sharing it with some people I know. Wonderful. So, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, Terry, for coming on and sharing your tips and tricks for staying organized and being self-aware and, you know, getting along with people, uh, you know, in personal life and on the job. And I can't wait to see what you do next. I mean, you're just a powerhouse, you know, it's like, I'm really wowed by the way you run your show and what you've done with your courses and just your whole story is just, it's inspiring. So thank you for sharing and coming on today. I appreciate it, Monica. I had a great time. Okay. All right. We'll stay in touch and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. To learn more about Terry Koslowski, you can find her on her podcast, Soul Solutions, through LinkedIn or her website at terrykoslowski.com. You can hear this show and subscribe on 96% of podcast apps for free through websites like Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, as well as Alexa. Join our community of guest speakers and listeners on LinkedIn or Instagram at WalkTalkBiz, that's W-O-C Talk Biz. To catch previews of upcoming episodes, find them on our social profiles. You can send in your anonymous questions and topics that you need to hear on this show to move forward in your career vision. Go to www.walktalk.biz, that's W-O-C, or email me at info at walktalk.biz. I can take questions and requests to be a guest speaker there as well. Our newsletter will be launching this year, so lock that in for early exposure to the interviews before they go live. If you found value in this show, share an episode with a friend and stay connected with the pulse of women shaping the world today. We're grateful for your listenership. Tune in every few weeks for another gem on diversity, work, and living out your vision.